Welcome to the Film Illiterates Podcast episode, whatever. I don't know, I've lost track. It's been so long. I... No, Joe, it's, it's a fresh year. It's a clean slate. Let's start again at number one. Welcome to the annual episode of Film Illiterates Podcast. We'll see you again next year after this is all done. Yes. I am Joe Bofo, and with me is Jailbait Nate. So, Joe, I, I should not drop the soap, right, this time? Just try, try to... Try to uh, don't I don't know pull moonlight. What is what does that even mean? What is I mean, next time? Next time we're on the beach together, please don't moonlight me again. Oh, I will make sure I moonlight you all the way. Um, oh my gosh, we're already off the rails. All right, all right. <laughs> it's our our, our Oscar uh, episode. Yeah, d- uh, we're doing this episode really just because uh, you know uh, back on Tuesday of this uh, week uh, they announced the Oscars for 2018, which are just for the films for 2017. Joe, how does that work? I don't know. It's uh, years progress. And... I mean, you think that would give a lot of confusion after maybe what years of doing this? Like you think, okay, so are we honoring the films for 2018 or 2017? I don't know. Most people know how like years work. I mean, you can't really hold the awards in the middle of the year because then, you know, you'd be missing like all the Oscar bait movies. So, so then in that case, Get Out would have won the Oscars this year. I mean, would win the Oscars this year, which it won't. Well, we don't know, but you know, it can be interesting if in some way or another, like uh, the Oscars actually honored the movies that were coming out in 2018 before they were released. Like they were saying, yes, we already know which movies are going to be the best movies of the year. And yeah, I don't know. That'd be kind of an interesting perspective. But I'm actually getting off the topic. Uh, Joe, why don't you tell us what we're going to talk about? Today, in honor of the upcoming Oscars and the fact that the Oscar nominations were just announced this past Mm -hmm. week, we will be talking about our Oscar predictions going down the list and just kind of seeing what we have in store this year. And before that, we're going to just kind of give a little bit of an end of year recap, talk about some of the movies that we've seen this past year and just, you know, highlights, lowlights, surprises, whatnot. Uh, And of course, before we get into all that, we're going to start off with what we've watched recently. Mm -hmm. So Nathan, you want to take us away? Uh, Sure. I mean, uh, this... This beginning of this year, I uh, haven't said I watched too much stuff. Uh, as I think right now, I'm just trying to play catch up with all the you know movies that on this um, Oscar list I have not seen. Uh, but recently, I actually had the chance to uh, watch the new Jumanji movie with Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart. Oh, I watched that too. Oh, sweet. So you would say it was a good movie? You liked it? Yeah, I thought it was fine. Uh, I, mean, I, didn't, I mean, it didn't blow me away or anything, but uh, it was decently entertaining i mean i had some problems with it i mean i think you get what you pay for it's it's dwayne johnson and kevin hart and jack black in the jungle that's what you get yeah i i think i think for me the the film didn't have great mileage as in i i don't know about halfway through maybe three quarters of the way through i started feeling like i was done with the movie i was kind of like all right i i got my enjoyment out of this now i'm done I don't need any more. And then it just kept going. And I think a lot of that is because of stuff like, you know, two minute sequences of Jack Black talking about the fact that he has a penis and that <laughs> stuff like that like, just like went on forever. Yeah. yeah. Basically, I think that was just an overall problem with the movie in general. So 
once uh, you get past the joke of these are teenagers and adult bodies and some of them have gender swapped, I think it gets really old really fast. Um, yeah. But it's not bad. I mean, it's, it's, no. it's, a, it's, a, it's a decent little entertaining movie. Yeah. Like I said, it, it's kind of what I like about it is it kind of keeps you in the realm that the movie is set in, which is if you are such into a video game, this is kind of like what would happen. You have your you know, evil villain who wants to take over the world. You have your exposition characters who just come in and, and that was actually one joke I kind of thought was kind of funny was how these characters would come in and they would just wait. They would say one line and they would wait for the other characters to respond a certain way and nothing would happen. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, those were, those were, those were some of my favorite moments too. Uh, just with like the, the computer players uh, and all the, the video game jokes and the cutscene and that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I, I got a kick out of that stuff more than anything else in here, I think. Yeah, and I think if uh, you know if that's like the angle they were going for, it, it worked. But you're right. After all the you know the the potty humor jokes and all the you know Dwayne Johnson being awesome and Kevin Hart being a little pipsqueak you know black guy who eats cake and explodes. Uh, that, that was a pretty great scene. But yeah, I think overall it was, it was fun. Although I will have to say, um, "Baby, I Love Your Way" by Big Mountain is now my favorite kick-ass <laughs> dance song, and. I will be rocking to that and beating up every piece of furniture in my house as a result of it. Awesome. Um, other than that, uh, I also had a chance to check out P.T. Anderson's new film, Phantom Thread, possibly the last film that Daniel Day-Lewis will be acting in, or so he says. I actually think that's just a big marketing publicity stunt and that he is not done yet. I think he has more acting roles up his sleeve. I, I think he legitimately thinks he is, just <laughs> as I think Steven Soderbergh legitimately thought he was retiring. But I think just like with Steven Soderbergh, in a couple of years, uh, he'll be back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unfortunately, here's the thing. They're creatives, and creatives never get tired. They always want to keep doing more. And even though they'll say, oh, yeah, age is getting to me, nah, nah, they're going to be back in action, and they'll, they'll pull something wonderful again. But let me talk about Phantom Thread. Um this is probably an interesting film for P.T. Anderson because it's his first non-American-based film. Um, it's set mostly in England, and it is probably the driest and stalest P.T. Anderson movie I have seen yet to date. And, But that's not saying it's a boring movie. There's a lot going on, but it's not very action-packed. I think in all P.T. Anderson's films, there's always that one scene that just comes out of left field, and you're like wow, what, what just happened? Or they'll be very action-driven and they'll have their moments of outbursts. Um, this one doesn't have it, surprisingly. It's very tamed. It's very mellow, um, but there's still a lot going on. And I think it's kind of more just in the fact that he's focusing on this um, subject matter of a of a, a tailor, seamster, and his world and what he lives in, which is not necessarily very exciting. Um, and so therefore, a lot of just the actions the characters have to choose are much more, they're smaller in scale, but they still deliver a big punch. Well, well, I, I haven't seen Phantom Thread yet, but have you seen Punch Drunk Love? I have, yes. Um, okay, because I haven't seen that one since high school, but I that I that from what I remember about that one, you, that one was also fairly slow and dry, although I do remember loving it. I should probably recheck it out. Yeah, what I mean, yeah. What I mean by like outbursts is like you'll always have that occasional P.T. Anderson scene where the characters just like have a, a, a cursing spree or they'll just do something magical or whimsical like, you know, Adam Sandler dancing in a grocery store. Um but in this film, there isn't anything like that. 
Um, I think there's like a couple of scenes in the very beginning with a um, with uh, cars driving around, and that's pretty much the fastest movie ever goes. Although there is one scene in the middle of it that I thought was just done very well, and it's really kind of does like a 180 for the characters and. I, I kind of enjoyed that one the most. I don't want to spoil it for you, Joe, because I know you want to see this. Um, and it's kind of sad. I wish Nick was here on this podcast to talk this with us because he would go on and on about, you know, what he loves about P.T. Anderson. But I think as far as a movie by P.T. Anderson, it's probably his weakest film. In my opinion, it's his weakest film. Um, I think the message he's saying overall isn't the strongest. Um but it's not saying it's bad. So it's kind of just, it's like stale. In my opinion, it's very stale P.T. Anderson. Now, is, it, is, there, is there anything to the comparisons to Hitchcock's Rebecca? Oh, there's, a hit, there's like basically references to all of Hitchcock's film from Psycho, Vertigo, pretty much To Catch a Thief. Interesting. Yeah. And in a way, I'm not going to reveal what happens, but it's almost like he's paying homage to Hitchcock, but also deconstructing Hitchcock as well. There's something that happens with the character dynamic between um, Daniel Day-Lewis and this uh, his muse uh, model love interest that it's kind of like you wouldn't expect this. You would never see this in a Hitchcock film. And the turn it makes actually I think is a very interesting one, but one kind of contemporary for its time. So I don't know. I mean, I can't see why it's gotten all the hype. I mean, maybe it's because it's P.T. Anderson and maybe because Daniel Day-Lewis is, is uh, you know, it's his last acting role, which, by the way, he's really good in this as well. Um, he, he, do- he doesn't, like, overplay it. He underplays it, but to a very good strength. Um, so I have to say, uh, for anyone who's really into Oscar bait movies, check it out before Oscars happens. And who knows? Uh we might have a fourth win for Daniel Day-Lewis this year at the Oscars. Yeah, well, it's absolutely on my list. It's um, not currently playing at a theater terribly close to me. It's about an hour drive away, but uh, that's on my list to see. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's all I've watched. Uh, Joe, what have you watched? I have watched. All right, so um, I'll go over a movie that came out last year that everybody saw but me, which is surprising because this film is uh, kind of right up my alley. And that is Stephen King's It. I just watched that for the first time today, actually. Yes. And can you concur? It is probably one of the best adaptations of Stephen King. I think that isn't an inaccurate statement. Um, I mean, then again, how many great Stephen King adaptations have there been? I mean, well, I don't know. Wait, wait, wait. You also got The Shining up there. So it's, it's, it's up yeah. there. It's certainly up yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, there's Green Mile. There's Shawshank Redemption. There's Pet Cemetery. Um, Pet Cemetery is awesome. Watch our video on yes, it. Yes, uh, this is a promoting our episode of Pet Cemetery. Uh, you already did that. I don't mind repeating <laughs> it. Um, I quite enjoyed it. Actually, I have no uh, prior knowledge of the source material. Like, like I know it's about these kids and the, the clown, and I know in the miniseries he turns into a giant spider and whatever, all, the, all, the, all that stuff. I, I haven't actually seen the original miniseries, and I haven't read the book. So this is my first time experiencing the story from beginning to end. And it, what, what struck me most about this movie is that it was a lot grander in scale scope than I expected it to be. Um, I mean, like, the, the music has this kind of uh, magical quality to it that you don't really hear in films a lot anymore. It's, it's, it's the, the set design is breathtaking. Oh. The film is just beautiful to look at. The, 
uh, it's it's a, an ensemble piece, kind of like Lord of the Rings. In fact, in many ways, this kind of feels like a, a horror Lord of the Rings of sorts, That's, including going almost three hours long. <laughs> that is actually probably one of the best statements I've heard of it. And actually, I want to comment about the, the actual um, production design as well as just the feel of the movie. Um, I love how it just captures the 80s very well. Everything from the kids' bedrooms to just like the music they were listening to and Here's the funny thing. The original story of it was actually not set in the 80s. It was actually set in the 50s. So, yeah. So basically this story, as it's been adapted, you know, from the miniseries that happened in the 90s to currently now, it's had to adapt it so that when we go into the adult segment of the story, that's the contemporary story. So for these kids, you know, they have to age, you know, after 26 years. So it was only appropriate to set it in the 80s, which I think is the best thing, especially now since, you know, 80s is kind of like, all on everyone's radar from, you know, Stranger Things to just this resurgence of, you know, 80s movies, adaptations that are happening. Um, I feel like that's the reason what made this movie so successful is they knew this was going to hit the audience in a very nostalgic way. So they really banked on that. Yeah. And I, I, I quite enjoyed this movie. Um, I mean, I have a couple little nitpicks, but nothing that, 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 that took away from the the overall experience uh, and this film, I mean, it's, I don't love it enough that it's going to make my top 10 list, but it's still a very solid, well done movie. Very entertaining. Oh yes. Movie. Oh yes. I mean, I think uh, Bill Saskar's uh, adaptation of Pennywise, I, I don't know. Would you say it holds up to par with Tim Curry's adaptation of Pennywise? I'd say it's better from what I've seen of Tim Curry's. Although again, I, I I didn't grow up with the miniseries. I haven't seen the miniseries. I've just seen clips of uh, uh, Tim Curry's mm -hmm. performance. Um, I, I mean, honestly, in my opinion, I think Tim Curry uh, made the original miniseries like memorable just because he was having so much fun with the role. Whereas Bill Sasgard in this one, he's really going for just the terrifying aspect of it. And some people have actually said he overdoes it to the point where it's like, you know, the whole reason why um, Pennywise was so terrifying of a clown monster is because he lures you in as a clown with, you know, you being friendly and cute, but how many people have actually found clowns friendly and cute? Uh, whereas Bill Sasgar in this one, he's just terrifying from the very beginning. So, but that doesn't say like he's a terrible Pennywise. In fact, there's just some great uh, jump scares throughout the whole movie, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very well done movie. Uh, second movie I will talk about is another film from 2017 called Psychopaths. This is from uh, – uh, have, have you heard of this, by the way? I have not. So why don't you uh, educate us all on what this movie is? So this is – the only reason I saw this movie was was because of its director. Uh, it's a, a young, rising indie horror director named Mickey Keating. Uh, and I've seen uh, most of his movies. I've, I've missed his – I think his first two – but uh, he's made movies um, uh, called Pod, Darling, Carnage Park, and now Psychopaths. And I haven't liked any of his movies, and yet I still watch them. <laughs> <laughs> he, here's the thing. He's, he's, he's one of those directors. I, I, I keep on hoping that he'll become like the next Ty West and kind of rise from mediocre indie movies into great indie movies and then eventually into mainstream horror movies because he obviously has the chops to to do something really good and he has you know you know a great eye for the camera and he knows how to put together a film competently but all of his films so far uh psychopaths included have this kind of 
I don't know, midnight film auteur kind of sense. It's 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 like he makes cult films for film students. Oh, okay. I mean, that's a and I th- you already kind of already painted the picture really well for me. So I already kind of get an idea yeah. from you. And uh, Psychopaths is a very well shot movie. Uh, but it's still it, it it looks cheap, and I don't know if that's because of the way he lights it or the 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 kind of camera he uses. It looks kind of like a cheap digital movie, although it still looks really nice. It's very well you know shot, very well set up. But everything uh, uh, Psychopaths is okay. Basically, Psychopaths covers three different psychos over the course of one night and their escapades, uh, as far as like hunting down people and killing them, and their very different methods. And the film is shot kind of to be a uh, in a nostalgic light, kind of like it's uh, part of it looks like it's shot in the '60s, and um, it's just very obviously inspired by older movies. But Mickey Keating has this this style of shooting that he's done in uh, most of his previous movies, where he does a lot of kind of rapid fire editing uh, in kind of like an artsy, pretentious way, where you know the like flashes of violence on the screen and then cuts to something that isn't quite related to what you're looking at but it kind of is and it's just meant to be unsettling and i get the effect but it makes it feel i don't know kind of pretentious and and this one like his other ones gave me hope that well if this guy is given some really good material he could do something really memorable and so i i I hope that one day he takes up a script that he didn't write and sees what he can do with someone else's material because i think he has it in him to make a really great movie and as it is like they're vaguely uh they, they his, his his films range so far from i don't know pr- pretty bad but interesting to watch to okay this one's kind of getting at something i think the film of his that i like the most so far is a movie called darling which uh is kind of a uh his take on repulsion sort of it's like a you know a a woman going insane in a psychotic kind of a way movie and that one is shot very artsy fartsy but that one out of all of his i think has the most consistency as far as his style matches the themes matches the story and it makes a kind of a weird experience yeah it almost kind of really seems like he you kind of mentioned like he's kind of not like matured past this like film student kind of way of directing lighting his stories. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's just like something he's most comfortable with. I kind of feel like if he tried to do um, another person's script or adapt other material that isn't his own, maybe he wouldn't be as passionate about it. Maybe this is uh, as passionate and as good as it gets for this guy. Which Yeah, and that's, and that's the thing is that if Psychopaths was his first movie, I'd say like, oh man, this guy really has something. But this is his, his what, his fifth or sixth movie <laughs> yeah. yeah you mentioned fourth or fifth yeah but yeah um but anyway i will continue to watch mickey keating's movies and i hope that one day uh he makes one that i will genuinely enjoy um i will say uh a a, a good thing about mickey keating is that he hosts a show on shutter um i don't remember what it's called off the top of my head but it's it's a it's a show where he interviews other horror directors and horror creators. So, for instance, he 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 interviewed uh, Lee One L from the Insidious and Saw films, and that's a really well done kind of a variety talk show. So, got that going for him. Sweet, interesting. Oh, so well, it's, it's called the Core. 
Oh, the core. Cool. So uh, I guess to all of our listeners, if you guys are interested in seeing more about uh, Mickey Keating, uh, check out the core on Shudder. Um, and then uh, just, just very briefly, I'm working through the year 1956 in movies this year. Last year, I was working through 1934. And I recently watched a movie called Lieutenant War Skirts. It's kind of a screwball sex comedy from the 50s. And it is incredibly entertaining. Go watch it now. You'll thank me later. I don't remember the 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 name of the director, but he he got his start doing a lot of uh, uh, kind of Warner Brothers cartoons and animation and that kind of stuff. So you would say like it has that very Looney Tunish kind of feel to it, that kind of slapstick humor. It does. It does. It it, it has a lot of innuendos in it, but they're kind of blatantly obvious innuendos, and it's a very entertaining kind of back and forth banter. It's a very dated movie, but dated in the most entertaining way it's a colorful film it uses cinemascope uh to great effect even though most of the movie is just people talking to each other and in these kind of screwball situations it's just i don't know it breezes by of uh, frank tashlin that's the name of the director oh okay yeah frank tashlin yeah and i don't know it's just a very entertaining movie I, um yeah i enjoyed it <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at his uh, uh, kind of filmography. He's kind of done quite a bit. Of, he actually looks like he did a Dean Martin and uh, Jerry Lewis comedy. So actually, I'm looking. I'm actually actually looking at it. Uh, he's used Jerry Lewis in a lot of his films. <laughs> That's awesome. That doesn't surprise me at all. All right, so let's let's just move briefly into then uh, for the second half of our podcast. Uh, we're gonna cover our end of year recap for 2017, and then we'll move into Oscar conversations. So, uh, Nathan, any notables from the past year? I mean, honestly, it, this was such a mixed year, actually. I feel like, uh, I mean, I don't want to get too political and I'll try to stay away from politics, but because there's such an interesting tension in the air, we had a bunch of movies, I feel like, uh, that's kind of rose to the surface and got a lot of publicity that I think a lot of people were not expecting. Um, and there are a lot of films that defied people's expectations. Um, honestly, I think uh, uh, one of the films I thought kind of was a huge cap on the year was uh, the new Wonder Woman movie, um, only because DC at this point had such a interesting, like you know, run of just bad you know movies so far, from Suicide Squad to Dawn of Justice, and this was kind of like the movie that makes or breaks them. You know, if if this movie could not bring in the crowds or the audience or even just save the DC fandom. There is no hope for this, um, you know, DC universe that they're trying to go for. And honestly, Wonder Woman was, despite its flaws, was surprisingly good um, from what I recall. And I think if anything, it's, I think now Gil Godot is like the huge poster, you know, actress for the whole DC universe at this point. I think she's kind of dethroned. Uh, Superman and even Batflick's uh, reputation and has kind of now taken the the top of it all. So that was a that was a huge surprise. Um, and then other movies, um, gosh, I'm trying to think. I I would have to say there was a lot more films in my opinion that kind of felt very genre picky and uh, really kind of felt. They fit into, you know, one genre for like, let's say indie films and one genre for this kind of films. The one film that I thought kind of blew expectations out of the water for me 
was Get Out. And this happened way, way back in February as well. And I remember you and I were having to talk about this, you know, like, you know, oh, this movie's not going to go all the way to the awards. And lo and behold, it's it's getting a lot of critical acclaim because I think it's that one film that isn't really one specific genre. It really banks on this whole, you know, the horror of, you know, the 70s that has a lot of social commentary. Like, you know, as, as Jordan Peele has explained, this movie is kind of a homage to a lot of those films like The Stepford Wives, Rosemary's Babies that really kind of banked on a lot of people's paranoias. Um, and I feel like this one does a well job at it. And I just remember like sitting in the theater, just having the most uncomfortable, but most entertaining experience I've ever had, just because there's parts I wanted to burst out laughing at the absurdity of it, but I kind of almost felt really bad for laughing out. It kind of put me in that boat and I don't know. I think it just allowed me to kind of really soak in what this movie was doing. And honestly, I'd never seen a film quite like it this year. And uh, I think as far as uh, movies go, those were the two that stood out to me the most. Um, I mean, there were the other, you know, occasional ones that came out that, you know, have been Oscar bait movies, a lot of the the big superhero movies. Um, but as far as like movies go, those two were the big ones. And also, I think I was kind of feeling a little bit just like burnt out from just a lot more of just like X-Men movies and uh, DC movies. And you had those. Uh, one of the films I was kind of really bummed about that, you know, didn't really was up there for me um, was the Logan movie. And only because I think that movie just came out five years too late. If this had come out like earlier, back in like maybe 2012 or 13, I think it would have just, you know, been on the top of my list, but it feels like this was a long overdue movie. And I don't know, I really wish it would have kind of like stood out a lot more for me, but sadly it wasn't. Um, other than that, you know, there've been some good ones. And like, as we were just talking, it was like right up there as well with one of my favorite films of this year. Um, only because I always wanted to see, I was having my doubts like this was going to be a good adaptation of the book and I had my doubts if you know it could like do any worse than what the miniseries did and surprisingly the the director the writers the cast just like pulled their way through it and I think it was just one of a good films um and those are the films I think that stood out to me for 2017 um did you have anything to comment on those uh not particularly the only thing about get out is that I really have no problems with, with that movie for some reason it, it hasn't really caught on to me the way it seems to have for everyone else i mean i mean it's, it's a great movie i loved it it's, it's a lot of fun um it's not in my top 10 it is in my top 20 but it's the sort of film where i'm like oh yeah that was a good movie and i just kind of you know i'll probably watch it again sometime in the future but i don't really need to think about it right now uh which is fine genre pictures are great i i enjoy them i think they need to get more recognition um i i think i would be happier if get out was getting all this attention for being a genre picture as opposed to, I, I feel like a lot of people are saying like, oh, it's great despite being a genre picture because uh, it is it is socially relevant today. And I think that's, that's why it's getting all this attention. I want to live in a world where it doesn't have social relevancy and that kind of a movie still gets attention just because it's a damn well-made movie. Oh yeah. I mean, I think if anything, if you kind of like, if I step back and look at this movie, I mean, 
it, it kind of is something like if it wasn't set in this time or if it didn't come out during this time when all this is you know relevant, would it still uphold? And I don't know. I think the fact that because it's a it's something that has never done but been done before in a horror genre, I think it's uh, it kind of does withstand um, just the whole test of time. But I don't know. We'll have to wait maybe five years from now and see if from the vault it's still uh, in people's minds or people look back on it very fondly as they do this year. Yeah. Um, looking through my list of, of uh, all the movies I've seen from 2017. So as of right now, I've seen 58 movies from 2017. And what's standing out to me is just how many kind of smaller movies uh, are on this list. Or at least, at least are, are, are higher, higher up on this list. You know, you know how highly ranked a lot of movies that I wouldn't have generally thought of, or I don't think a lot of people are even talking about. Uh, for instance, my for instance, my number one movie of the year is Baby Driver, which is a which was a high profile movie. Nobody's talking about it right now. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, that actually I wanted to comment on that as well because I saw Baby Driver this year as well, and I have to say, uh, I had a choice of seeing that or Spider Man Homecoming. I'm so glad I saw Baby Driver as opposed to Spider-Man Homecoming because I think it's such a great movie. I picked I picked up Baby Driver on Blu-ray just like yesterday. Oh my gosh. I mean, here's the thing, just a lot of just the action sequences, the driving sequences are just done superbly with the music, the editing, the sound mixing is just you, you can't nothing has ever been seen like this before. Yeah. But it's just kind of weird to me that 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 nobody's talking about it right now. And I'm not expecting it to win any Oscars, but it's kind of like, you know, and in, in, in even just like other podcasts, end of year lists. Nobody brings up Baby Driver, uh, which is, I don't know, kind of odd because, I mean, it's a really damn well-made movie. I mean, here's the thing. I think there's actually some people I've been listening to on podcasts who they've actually looked back on 2017. They have to say there have been some moments in cinema going experiences that they have ranked Baby Driver up there. A lot of them being just like um, the opening sequence or, you know, the scene with him going to get coffee. Or my favorite scene is actually at the, um, like the third act when he's escaping and he goes into that shopping mall plaza and he does that, you know, he, he switches outfits and you're listening to the music and it, it's, it does this very interesting, just like one song is mixing perfectly with another song in the store. And you're not sure like what was going through Edgar Wright's mind when he was <laughs> picking those two songs, but it's such a beautiful transition. And those scenes definitely people have been talking about for sure. Um, but you're right. It's not on everyone's radar as far as like, oh, best movie of uh, 2017. But it certainly deserves to be. Yeah. But uh, uh, like I was talking about with kind of smaller films being higher up on my radar, or should I say slightly more obscure films, mo- movies that aren't on everyone's radar. I'm, I'm talking about even from like the art house standpoint. So I'm like, I'm not talking about like Lady Bird or Florida Project, which which I haven't seen yet. I need, I need, I need to see both of those. But it's like movies like, Brawl in Cell Block 99, or the 101-year-old man who skipped out on the bill and disappeared, or Cult of Chucky. It's, it's, it's like the, those are all high-quality movies, in my opinion. Um, and they, they surprised me in just how much I enjoyed them. And I feel like a lot of these... And, and th- those are kind of a, more genre pictures, too. How many genre pictures are just really trying really hard these days? And you can tell that, that they're being made by people with a great eye for the camera and a great love of the craft of movie making. And they also just love entertaining the hell out of the audience. And that's probably what I appreciate more than anything when I watch a movie is just a well-done movie in the service of 
pure entertainment. Mm -hmm. And I think if anything, um, what we're kind of seeing with these movies you just listed off, uh, one thing I think that ties them all together is uh, they've all been distributed by, you know, something like Netflix or Amazon. And, you know, they haven't been distributed by studios. And I think we're kind of noticing that now. I think the Netflix phenomenon has kind of caught up where now we see a lot of these great genre pictures, really good entertaining films. They may not get a lot of emphasis or a lot of um, distribution from a big studio, but they'll find their niche through these other venues. And I think that's what's changing just the whole landscape in general. Yeah, and and I think what's helping them is that with this online distribution, they're also getting a lot of freedom for these filmmakers to do whatever the heck they want. Uh, yeah, there's like no re- there's no regulations. There's no like saying you can't do this or oh this is not relevant. You have to include this in it, like something a studio would do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Cult of Chucky, for instance, it's 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 just pure Don Mancini just doing whatever the hell he wants. He has somehow tied this entire series together of of, of what like uh, one two three four, five, like six or seven film. I think I think this is film number seven in the in the Chucky franchise. But they all tie together. Like like there's continuity between each of these movies. And this one references stuff from like all the other child's play movies. It's ridiculous. And the fact that a movie like this got the full AOK to do whatever you want and these great puppet effects behind it and this heart behind it is just really endearing to me. I'm glad that we're getting movies like this where the filmmakers can just Go go nuts! <laughs> <laughs> they have all this freedom and they don't know what to do with it. Or maybe in this case, uh, he knows what he wants to do with it. I mean, this is his baby project. It's like you know, seven sequels. My gosh! And he's kind of like basically owned it and really kind of like spearheaded it. And I think that's the beautiful thing about stuff like Netflix and Amazon is right now there is no restrictions. And I don't know. We'll have to see how this changes all things. Um, and we'll get into this when we talk about the Oscars, but a big thing that really makes me happy is a lot of films that got distributed via Netflix or even from Amazon went all the way to getting nominated for like Best Picture, uh, Mudbound being one of them. You know, that wasn't distributed by a big studio, and yet it has now gone all the way of, you know, you know, getting recognition at the Oscars. I think that's kind of the coolest thing. Yeah. All right. Two things before we move on to Oscars. First thing. Uh, worst movie of the year. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> that's right. Cause I have not had a chance to do a worst list this year. Just off um, the top of your head. What's what, if, if you had, if someone had a gun pointed to your head and said worst movie of the year right now, what would you say? I would have to say ghost in the shell. Ghost in the shell. Okay. I, I haven't seen that one yet actually. And I have very little interest in seeing it. Okay. So coming from someone who, uh, has been a big fan of the anime, the manga, and even just the, the movies that came out. What this movie was trying to do was too much for a two-hour movie. Um, and I felt like that was the the problem with it is it was trying to do stuff that was good in the, the first anime movie and the series. And then it just kept botching it all up with the cast, with the acting and story choices, motivations. It's, it's kind of just a big mess of a movie. And honestly, I feel like if they're just going to do a – a live action remake they should have just remade the the movie that came out in 1995 i I would have been okay with that if it was a basically a shot for shot remake i would have been fine but they didn't and they just there's a lot of just bad steps and it's not mostly just because of the whole you know whitewashing that happens in the movie here's the thing japanese audiences actually 
really liked th- that Scarlett Johansson was playing um, the main character in this one. In fact, they had their eye on her. It's kind of strange, but here in America, we were the ones who made the, the biggest complaint about the issue. Um, but far so from that issue, it's, it's just a, a poorly constructed movie and it takes a lot of creative license to you know mesh things together to jump around and do its own stuff and honestly i feel like it should have never just happened in the first place all this investment into this hoping they could break in a buck and it's it's just kind of one of those signs of if you're not going to get someone who's passionate behind it and knows what they're doing don't do it at all all righty uh, for me, worst movie of the year, Resident Evil, the final chapter. And that's so sad because here's the thing. You're a big Resident Evil fan. Like you love the movies and like just, you know, uh, I forget the director's name, but Paul Anderson, Paul Anderson. <laughs> I should have known Paul, that. Paul W.S. Anderson, I should say. So basically take out the T and put W.S. in there. So exactly. So yeah. I mean, Although, how do we know that Paul Thomas Anderson and Paul W.S. Anderson aren't the same person? What if, yeah. What if that's his, uh, his doppelganger character? Like he just like, basically he's like, okay, I'm tired of being pretentious art house, Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm going to go be radical Paul Anderson. So I would, I would love that. Uh, however, I, I fear that is not the case. I, I do have a soft spot for the Resident Evil movies. I think the last one, which I forget the name of it, was it Retribution, I think. Who cares? They're all... <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even give a shit. <laughs> See, this is how um, you know that Joe loves these movies so much when he doesn't give a shit. I, 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 I love the last one, and um, I was excited for this one. It's going to be the last one. It's tying everything together. And... If there's one thing I can say about the previous Resident Evil movies is that they're competently shot. This one is just like he he zoomed in the camera, did the whole shaky cam thing, close up shaky cam for everything in the movie, and then he did quick cutting. The film is headache inducing to look at. I don't care that the story is garbage. The story is garbage in all of them, but when you combine a garbage story with the fact that you can't focus on like, 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 like literally focus on anything on the screen and combine that with a terrible story is just a nightmare of a viewing experience. I, I wanted to walk out of the theater just because my eyes couldn't take it anymore. Uh, so I was very disappointed in this one because it had a lot of goofy plot stuff that I would have loved if I could have seen the movie, uh, but I couldn't see the movie. I know. And I feel like that's kind of like just one of those, you know, bad things where it's like, you know, and I'm actually looking at the editor who is behind it, Doobie White. (laughs) I have a feeling this is this is Paul Anderson's pseudo name that he goes by. (laughs) And this is just I'm pretty sure he is trying to wash his hands from this mistake now. Oh, I was just I'm very sad. I'm, 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 I'm a sad Joe because of that movie. All right. All right. Now, 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 last question real quick. Mm hmm. Uh, before we move on to Oscars, it, were, were there any movies this year where you disagreed with the common consensus? So, for instance, was there a movie that is generally accepted as being a good movie that you disliked or a movie that's generally accepted as being terrible that you liked? Interesting. Um, uh, Joe, can you go first uh, while yeah. I think about this? Because I, I have a few minutes. I actually have a couple. I'll just go over them uh, uh, quickly. Uh, I I'm not a big fan of Raw. Um, I didn't see as much in that as a lot of other people did. I know it's on a lot of people's you know top ten list. Did you actually just... Did you actually see it? 
I actually saw it. I, oh, okay. I, I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could um, not stomach it actually. Uh, just from the trailer itself, I was like, gosh, this is just going to make me puke. <laughs> uh, I can say, don't worry about that. Um, the it's for me at least. Okay. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just desensitized, but the movie wasn't the nausea inducing horror experience. Everyone says it is. It's like one little kind of gross thing happens at like halfway through the movie. And the rest of the movie is extraordinarily tame even by comparison to that and that wasn't that bad so it's it's it's, it's like as a, a horror film if you're going into it as like a gore hound being like oh man it's gonna be great that's not what you're getting here the movie is all about the the character and her emotional journey uh and the cannibalism stuff is there but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh you can draw a through line through it but for me it's just kind of like there there, there is no logical progression from her starting off the movie as a vegan and you're supposed to accept that she's slowly turning into a cannibal because it's like suddenly she's craving raw meat and no explanations given at the end they're given an explanation and kind of like they 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 they, they tell you more and more about it as it goes on but it's like uh logically following the movie it's just kind of like oh i guess we're doing this now um and so all, you, all you have to cling on to is just the themes and the themes didn't really interest me. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually kind of noticing actually that there were some interesting horror films that are coming out that were banking on the paranoias of certain groups, like uh, you know, with for example, like Get Out, that banks on the paranoia of just like you know a lot of African Americans here, you know, who are afraid of being you know taken over by the white community again. Whereas with Raw, I think it's just every vegan's worst nightmare uh, of becoming a meat lover. Yeah, I, I guess I guess if if you're a vegan, this movie will terrify you. If you're any other rational human being would probably just be kind of bored by the movie. I think I think you should check it out. I think you'll be fine with it. <laughs> Interesting. Um, okay, so I had some time to think about it. Um, one of the films, I guess, I just, uh, you know, everyone kind of liked, and I didn't really have any strong or negative opinions about it whatsoever, was the Justice League movie. Um, and maybe it's because, I don't know. I think there's just something about Zack Snyder's, you know, use of CGI and just, you know, red lights coming from the sky and destroying the world that it just does not flow with me. Um, and, you know, it's it's not saying like it's a bad movie. I mean, it actually, I think Josh Whedon was actually able to do, he was able to save a lot of this movie that what could have happened. Um, he was able to give us some good character moments, some just good you know, funny moments. And I think a lot of those came with the pickups, but for me, it's just, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's, I'm just not on board with the whole DC, uh, universe. Whereas like, there's a lot of DC fans who felt like this movie along with wonder woman has kind of just redeemed, you know, the whole franchise. But for me, I don't know. I have actually not, uh, I've actually not kind of had any interest with it whatsoever. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, uh, it was, a, it was a fun little movie, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's about it. Uh, but that's all I have to say. Yeah. Oh, uh, another film, another film um, that's getting a lot of praise right now, but I didn't care too much for. Uh, the Shape of Water. You know? Oh, I, I am with you there, actually. Yeah, so, I mean, we'll go into this film uh, with our Oscar talk, but this was another film I saw, and I, visually, it was really good. Uh, you know, the character design that Doug Jones has with the amphibian man is fantastic. Story-wise, I kind of felt it couldn't make up its mind. I didn't feel like it knew what it wanted to be or what it was doing. And maybe, I don't know, a lot of people are saying it's one of the best films of the year. And 
okay. For me, I guess I just had problems with the story and I just wanted the movie to be, to choose what it wanted to be as opposed to being these other four or five things it was trying to do. I, I think it's a very bitter movie. Um, as, as, in, as in, I think Del Toro is mad and he's letting that bitterness kind of cut through uh, uh, to, to, to the to the heart of the movie and he's and it's impacting how the story is told uh, because there is no subtlety there is no nuance the film is just kind of big obvious social commentary thrown into what del toro does best which is these 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 fantasy stories uh, with a lot of emotion and heart to them but it's just kind of like he went out of his way to make it this 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 uh this big you know you know this um uh he de- destroys the nuclear family as and he gives you like this this kind of this 1950s you know picturesque family and he's like oh but he makes them vulgar and vile and the guy like hates everything that isn't christian it's like it goes out of his way to be like this huge metaphor and it's just it was so distracting. I mean, honestly, uh, <laughs> I mean, I have to admit, you know, I feel like Michael Shannon's character was very, you know, tight-fisted in the very beginning. Uh, but then at the, towards the very end, I love how he just it took on the mantle of just, I'm going to be a monster in the house kind of a character. And he really owns to that. And I feel like that's when the movie kind of got good on that end. But you're right. It spends so much time just like... Uh, deconstructing the nuclear family and you know looking at these outcasts which honestly if that was the intention i really feel like del toro should have stuck to his strengths as a fable storyteller i feel like you know stuff like he's done in the past pan's labyrinth and even you know the devil's backbone um were stronger movies and still they were getting their themes across and even social commentary across very well because it just wasn't so uh, it didn't want to emphasize too much on it it really wanted to just let you get lost in this world and honestly in my opinion i really think the movie should have just stuck at uh the um sally hawkins apartment and really kind of just have the story told from that perspective i would have actually been interested in that but that's me and i don't know like i said i feel like the movie is trying to be so many things at once and i think that's the reason why i kind of am not on board with it yeah very beautiful movie to look at very very well shot very beautiful movie um uh, the story and the themes are just, just that's where it falls apart for me. Uh, so yeah, I'm not a fan. Yeah. And honestly, I think like, uh, I, if it goes all the way with the Oscars, uh, kudos to it. But I think the movies that have come out this year, um, just didn't flow for me. <laughs> but, but Nathan, we all float down here. You'll float too, Joe. Don't you know? They all float. <laughs> Do you hear the all popcorn right. and the, I love the candy? Popcorn. <laughs> Now, uh, now our audience can go ahead and grab some popcorn while we move into our Oscar talk. Yay! All right, Oscars uh, 2018 for the year 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way we're going to do this is just kind of go through it as we see fit. Uh, I'm on Variety's page where they list everything. I'm going to go from down from bottom to top, and anything we're not interested in, we can skip. Okay, let's uh, let's start it. All righty, visual effects. What's going to win? Um, honestly, I really think out of all of these films, War of the Planet of the Apes is probably the strongest one. I'd love it to win just because in the past uh, three times that the Planet of the Apes movies have been nominated, it didn't win when obviously 
it deserved it. And I feel like this is its last chance. So I don't know, maybe the Academy will be nice and give these these guys who worked so hard with just the mocap. But I have a feeling Blade Runner might take it. Yeah, actually, it's funny that you mentioned Planet of the Apes because um, when I looked at this list, I just saw Blade Runner at the top and didn't bother looking at the rest of the list. I'm like, oh, Blade Runner's going to win. I'm like, oh, yeah, Planet of the Apes is coming out too. That could give it a run for its No, Blade Runner's going to win. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I love the visuals in Blade Runner. The, the, the CGI and the effects that Blade Runner does is like phenomenal, but I feel like the guys who have been behind the Planet of the Apes movies deserve their award by now. And I don't know. That's my hope, but it's probably going to be Blade Runner. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think Planet of the Apes has a, a slim chance, but I, I agree with you. I think Blade Runner is going to take it away. Um, costume design, I just want to touch on this really quickly. Not having seen Phantom Thread, I predict that will win because just of the subject matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that it would be like the most obvious choice. Although I feel like if uh, Shape of Water is going to be the big contender for a lot of just the production design awards, that might win as well, which I, I don't know. We'll have to see. I, I don't think Beauty and the Beast has a fair chance at all. I didn't care. You <laughs> mean the CGI costume design? <laughs> no, I know there were real costumes on the movie. Don't, don't at me. <laughs> Uh, let's move on up to original score. I'm okay. After having seen it today, I'm bummed that it did not get nominated because that was a beautiful score. It was really good after like, I kind of like was listening to, I, I listened to the soundtrack also. And yeah, I was like listening to it. I'm like, man, it's a shame. This one's not getting nominated. Oh, well. Um, it's almost like a Steven Spielberg movie, kind of. Like, yeah, like, like, like yeah. a classic, like 80s Steven Spielberg. Exactly. Kind of yeah, no, with the strings and just the the tense music when, you know, something scary is about to happen. It just, it's so 80s nostalgic. Um, what do you think is going to win, though, out of out of these these films up here? we got Dunkirk, Phantom Thread, Shape of Water, Star Wars, and Three Billboards. Okay, so after seeing uh, Phantom Thread this week, um, I have to admit, Johnny Greenwood's score for that is beautiful i mean you kind of forget this is this guy who's been doing most of pt anderson's movies ever since um there will be blood and his style of you know music is just very uh, it's it's such it's it's all about deconstruction and he just ha hits like notes and chords in the most uh twangy way but in this one it's very beautiful it's very flowing but it has that twisted underlying thing going on and i think it's a very 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 intricate and well-detailed score. So that would be my first choice. But I have a feeling because of all the hype it's been getting, maybe Hans Zimmer for Dunkirk? Yeah, Dunkirk for me is kind of the obvious choice here. Uh, it's such an original, driving, tense score. Even um, though it doesn't do anything original, it's actually take, playing off of an old you know, technique. And... Yeah, it, it just kind of never stops throughout mm -hmm. the whole movie. Yeah. Which, you know, I can definitely see that working, but, you know, honestly, I would love if Phantom Thread could win. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll have to check out the Phantom Thread soundtrack now because I am intrigued. It's it's very good. Like I said, it's uh, it's probably the most sophisticated score that Johnny Greenwood has ever done. All right. Sound mixing and sound editing. Uh, what's going to win, Baby Driver or Dunkirk? <laughs> I mean, I think uh, it's it's really hard to say what what it what constitutes as sound editing and what constitutes sound mixing. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. <laughs> you know, I couldn't tell you off the top of my. I like like I used to know. I just don't think about it anymore. I just kind of vote for them both as the same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like for one of these, uh, I feel like Baby Driver deserves sound mixing. Of all of them, I think that was the the biggest highlight of the whole movie was just listening to how the soundtrack was blending perfectly with just the action sequences 
and so that would be my choice. However, I think there's editing too, though. Uh, I mean, like stuff like 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 the uh, the the gunshots to the uh, the music and everything. Mm-hmm. Like 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 oh okay, I was uh, uh, yesterday I, I I was watching some of the behind the scenes footage and they were talking about how they were they had to have the actors fire the guns to the beat of the of the music. And just, I'm just imagining being an editor there, trying to cut this all together. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This movie also got uh, best editing as well as a nomination. So yeah, that that was like just the whole post production work of this movie must have just been a beast to handle. Um, but the Dunkirk, our- uh, it's 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 the darling of the Oscars. Um, I mean, it's the more darling movie. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like if it doesn't win best score, it'll definitely get either sound mixing or sound editing. So, I think it's a coin toss between those two. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I I think Dunkirk Dunkirk will probably win, and although Dunkirk had great sound editing and sound mixing, I my personal pick would be Baby Driver. Hmm. Okay. Um. Okay, how about just uh, film editing? I feel like the, the these first two choices, Baby Driver and Dunkirk, they're the strongest. Um, but I have a feeling, I don't know, maybe the Oscars might pull, uh, if they decide to make Shape of Water the big contender of the year, I have a feeling they're going to give it to it just because it's still fresh in people's minds. I think with Baby Driver, we were just talking about this, Baby Driver is kind of like, it's fallen off of the radar for a lot of people. Uh, but who knows? Maybe na- between now and uh, you know March fourth, when the Oscars are aired, it might change the opinion of the uh, the Academy. Maybe they might actually look at uh, Baby Driver and actually see, wow, it actually deserves you know editing. Uh, I just have a feeling Shape of Water might get it, but my my choice would be Baby Driver. Yeah, uh, for me, it's a slam dunk for Baby Driver should get it. I'm going to lean more towards Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I think even if you're an Academy voter looking at Shape of Water, I'm like, what about the editing in that movie really stands out compared mm-hmm. to other films this year? Uh, I, there's not a whole lot. And that's a, and that's the thing. And maybe like as we were talking, the biggest problem that we had was just the, the story was kind of, you know, doing too much at once. And even the editing wasn't saving that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the editing was fine. I just like, you know, I think mm-hmm. best editing of the year. I'm like, what, what what stood out about the editing in Shape of Water? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Right. So it was underwater, so I had to cut two shots together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, have you seen any of the uh, foreign language films? Um, I personally have not, but there is one that does stand out. Um, the Square oh, from yeah. from Sweden. And only because um, I know the filmmaker. It's the same filmmaker who did The Force Majeure. And we actually talked about this, uh, Joe. Uh, oh, back in, yeah. I, uh, I, I still haven't seen Force Majeure. But uh, now I'm more interested in The Square, knowing that he directed it. Well, and also just the, the subject matter it's talking about. You know, you have this guy who has um, a, a gallery exhibit, and his whole intention is to break conventions with what is considered as art in our culture today. I mean, one of the big iconic scenes from it, from what I've seen in trailers, is he invites all these, you know, rich uh, upper class uh, socialites to this dinner, and he has this one guy. I believe it's the same guy from uh, Force Majeure, uh, just walking around screaming at them and acting like a baboon until one of them just like beats him to death. Um, and I feel like the reason why I see this movie probably getting it is because it's kind of like a look at just uh, just shock value in culture today and what we consider art nowadays and what lines are we willing to cross just to create it. Um, other than that, I feel like uh, 
I don't know. The Oscars always seem to go with the most obscure of these choices. So maybe the insult <laughs> from Lebanon. Uh, have you seen any of the documentary films? Uh, I have not, but there is no. one that um, does stand out to me, and that is uh, Faces Places, the J.R. and Agnes Varda film. Um, from what I've heard from a lot of critics talking about this movie, uh, they are basically going from town to town in France uh, to these, you know, people who, you know, are you know central to their communities and actually having their their faces and their you know images. Uh, immortalized on just the the walls of the buildings and you know Agnes Varda she's a you know well-known you know documentarian filmmaker and she puts herself a lot in this uh, documentary that from what I've heard to the point because she is going blind and she wants this to kind of be something you know personal for her and it's very personal to a lot of people that she's touching so it's almost kind of like a, a goodwill you know mission that she's having for the people in france but also her her last like you know um hallmark just to the world in general and i feel like if anything the, the academy might be strongest in favor for this one just because i'm looking at the other choices none of them stand out as being something very impactful um i mean last year we had um OJ made in America that was like the big document documentary um and that one kind of won so this one because I think of all the critical claim it's been getting and all the um traffic it's received it might be the academy's first pick yeah I agree with you I um haven't seen any of these movies mm -hmm. but Faces Places is one that I've at least heard of and I presume that will be the case for most of the academy voters too mm -hmm. Yeah. Cinematography, is this Roger Deakins' year? Oh my gosh, I want to say it is, but just knowing the Academy, I have a feeling it's going to go to Shape of Water, sadly. Really? I, I would have said Dunkirk again. Like I said, I, I feel like uh, Shape of Water is going to be that big contender for all the artistic and production you know, awards. And... I, I really, really, I just want Dakins to just finally get what's been overdue for him for almost 20 years at this point. And uh, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. I will not deny, I think Blade Runner has the strongest cinematography of all these choices. Uh, but I just have a bad feeling the Academy's going to just pull another Moonlight and give it to the uh, Shape of Water. But my hopes, I'm, I'm going to try and be optimistic, Joe. I'm going to try and say, this is Roger Dakins' year. It is going to go to him. So my money's on uh, Blade Runner 2049, despite his odds. I am going to be much more optimistic. I'm going to say Blade Runner 2049 will absolutely win the Best Cinematography Award. Mm -hmm. I I did not stick with Deakins for uh, Skyfall. I did not stick with him for... He did Sicario also, right? He did, yes. And he did Prisoners. Um, that was like one of his last ones. And I didn't. I said he would not win any of those. I'm telling you right now, he will win this year. I mean, he kind of deserves it. I mean, you look at the cinematography in Blade Runner, and it's almost like he's pleading with the Academy. He's like, just like, please give me an Oscar. I'm doing everything in the book. I, 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 think, I think the reason he's going to win, though, is because it's Blade Runner, not necessarily because it's Roger Deakins. I think that's kind of the icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. uh, Academy Awards will say, "Oh, Blade Runner. Blade Runner this year is like the uh, uh, like Life of Pi when it came out. It's been, it's been a movie where they're like, oh, that big beautiful movie. Yes, best cinematography right here. Well, actually, you think that, but I don't know. It feels like kind of like uh, Baby Driver. This movie's kind of fallen off of the radar for a lot of people as well. It, and honestly, from even though like you and I went and saw it, this movie didn't do so well at the box office. In fact, 
I don't think a lot of people saw it. This was like the one movie I think people were actually getting up and leaving during the the movie. Um, most because it's a really long movie. It's what three hours long almost. Yeah, it's like almost three hours long. And it's at the same kind of pace as uh, you know the first Blade Runner, which is kind of a crawl when you think about it. Um, so I don't know. Like I said, we'll, we'll, I have hope that maybe uh, the Academy will be nice to Dakins this time. I just have a feeling they're going to moonlight him in one way or another. <laughs> uh, best original screenplay. I am keeping my fingers crossed for Martin McDonough. Yeah, you said it right. Oh, for three billboards? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd love that as well. Um, and honestly, of all these choices, gosh, I don't know. Here's the thing. Um, directors this year is kind of a big shocker for me, just because there are two I was not expecting, actually, to get um, Best Director nominations. Um, best Screenplay definitely was. But now that they have nominees for Best Director, I just don't know. It could be... We could have double wins. We could have one goes to the other. Um, I mean, Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig are the two underdogs in this category. I feel like um, Jordan Peele has really done a really good script with Get Out. I mean, the writing of it, I think, is the smartest one. And Lady Bird, you know, uh, Greta Gerwig's sense of humor and her, you know, the intimacy of her storytelling does come through in the script. Um, the one I kind of feel sad that is not going to win is uh, The Big Sick. Um, and only because that movie is, is the writing of it is so original and so funny. But compared to, I think, Lady Bird, I don't know. I think uh, I'm going to actually say this time around, I think my money's going to be on Jordan Peele for Get Out. I think uh, he has a chance of winning Best Original Screenplay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This is a big question mark for me. Um, I want to say three billboards, but, um, you know, McDonough doesn't have a great track record. <laughs> I thought he should have been nominated for Seven Psychopaths, and he obviously wasn't there. So now that he actually is nominated, I'm kind of doubting he'll have an actual chance, but I, I, I wish he would because that movie is so brilliantly written. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I think the choices this year for original screenplay is going to just come down to who ends up winning best director, or you yeah. know, who is going to win, uh, who's going to be the probably the best, uh, you know, contender at the awards. Which could be any of these three. I don't know. Get Out actually might be a best picture contender. Who knows? Yeah, and then we come to the Disaster Artists nomination. <laughs> <laughs> the only award that the Disaster Artists is nominated for, despite. Uh, its response or its re re uh, recognition at the Golden Globes, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, so everyone's surprised that Logan was nominated, and uh, I, guess, I guess I'm surprised too. I was, I was I was happily surprised. I mean, honestly, I will say this for Logan: it's it's by far a better story and script than it is as far as like a a, a strong like X Men universe movie. I mean, that's the one thing that a lot of people have had issues with is like uh, the action in this one hasn't been up to par with some of the other Wolverine movies that we've seen. Uh, but honestly, I, I, I think that's what makes it a better movie in a way is this, the writing has actually been taken care of a lot better in this one. Um, although of all these choices, I'm going to actually have to say the, the Academy is going to go for um, Call Me By Your Name. Uh, the, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, only because um, just uh, you know how it's still fresh in a lot of people's minds. It's James Ivory, who's been a you know he's a veteran at the Oscars with all of his you know period classic romances, 
and this one's kind of up there as well. And from what I've heard, it's yeah, it's it's I think it's it's this one has it in the the can. All right, which will win best animated feature, the breadwinner or Coco? Well, honestly, or the boss baby. The boss. <laughs> well, I'm gonna say boss baby. I think now that uh, Weinstein's out of the picture, I think. Uh, Alec Baldwin <laughs> is now going to basically be pulling the strings behind the Oscars this time. He's he's uh, worked his way up to that, so uh, maybe maybe the boss baby. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I really, it's going to be Coco. I mean, it's the, the from I've saw it and it was good, but let's face it, Pixar and Disney always wins this one. Yeah, um, I'm going to give a slight edge to Breadwinner this year because I think more people are talking about that one this year. I think it's on more people's radars because of uh, I almost said Shape of Water. I meant Song of the Sea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, for me, I, I'm kind of 50-50 here. I, I think the Breadwinner certainly has a chance this year, whereas most years that a, a Pixar film comes out, I don't think it has a chance. But I, I mean, I, here's the thing. I would love the breadwinner to win just because from what I've seen of, of cartoon saloons, like animation style, it's really gorgeous in this one. And also just because of the social commentary it's making about the Middle East in it is kind of very relevant still today. And it gives it a good chance. But I just have a feeling if the Academy goes with the breadwinner, there's going to be a lot of people upset about Coco not winning. Only because Coco is like the first like Disney Pixar movie that focuses on just the Hispanic culture. And I don't know, I feel like trading one for the other is going to be a huge upset. So I feel like Coco is like the lesser of two losses. So that's yeah. that's why I say. All righty. Fair enough. Um, best director. I think this year, best director and best film will most likely be attached. Um, if there is any upset, I think it would be Jordan uh, Peele getting nominated or, or winning best director. Mm -hmm. And some other film winning Best Picture, but um, yeah, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. I'm looking at this. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is a tough one because I feel like this year, um, any of these contenders, uh, Shape of Water, Lady Bird, uh, Get Out, um, I think uh, for this year, it's like there's a good chance that whoever wins Best Director is going to be tied with Best Picture. Um, and honestly, I guess it comes down to what the Oscar wants to do this year. It doesn't want to favor, you know, the indie comedy about you know a coming of age story for a, a teenage girl trying to find her place in the world doesn't want to actually honor you know a fantasy social commentary film like the shape of water or doesn't want to actually do something original and surprising and give jordan peele you know a first time nominee and a first time win uh for his you know groundbreaking uh horror you know satire it's it's yeah. it's a hard pick yeah, I don't know. Um, I think I th the reason I might give a slight edge to uh, Jordan, Jordan Peele for Best Director is because of the social commentary aspect and the fact that he seemed to have struck a nerve with a lot of people. Um, but I certainly don't think Get Out is going to win Best Picture. So, so if that happens, it's going to be an upset. And I that I mean, like, how often does that happen? Yeah, and honestly, I can honestly see. I think, I don't know, I feel like Del Toro already won it at the Golden Globes. Um, we still have the Directors Guild Awards as well, and that will be a mm. huge determining factor of who wins uh, Best Director. And he, he might win it just because, you know, it's kind of like he's up there now with uh, Alfonso Cuaron, uh, Alejandro Enaritu, and, you know, he's the last of the trio. So, you know, all of them have their Best Director Oscars now. So it might complete the circle. I'd love Jordan Peele to win, but it... 
if you want me to be straight up honest, it's either Gerwig or Del Toro. Okay. Lumping all the uh, the actors and actresses together, anything stand out for you? Or should I should I, should I say um, actually uh, two things that stand out to me actually quickly here is on supporting actor. Uh, two actors from Three Billboards were nominated, um, which is interesting. I'm actually a little bit surprised that Woody Harrelson was nominated. Not that he was bad. I mean, I mean, I mean, he was great in the movie. Uh, he's certainly not the most memorable thing about that movie. At the same time, uh, Woody Harrelson's been doing a lot of like films this past year. Like, I think he was like in four films this year. And usually, in that kind of a case, um, they'll push a strong campaign of like just nominate him for one of the movies. So I feel like this is just, <laughs> and this is the case for a lot of uh, supporting actors. You know, it happened with John C. Riley back in 2002. He was able to secure an Oscar nomination for Chicago. And it was only because he was like in three or four of the Oscar contender films of that year. So, um, yeah. but I feel like, uh, I don't know. I mean, this is kind of a wild card here. Oh, well, not a, not a wild card, but it's a, as in like, it's, it's a little unpredictable. Cause I could see either, Sam Rockwell, Christopher Plummer, or Willem Dafoe. Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the biggest surprise would be Willem Dafoe, um, only because I saw the Fuller Project, and I have to admit, Willem Dafoe did capture that movie. Like, he of all the actors in that film, he was the only like A list actor and actual like you know Hollywood actor that was cast for the film. But he doesn't try to outshine anyone. He plays to everyone's strengths, and yet he creates this very memorable and very endearing character despite like just the the world it's living in and i don't know i think that takes a lot of talent for an actor to do that but i feel also you know sam rockwell he's been sweeping a lot of just critics for just his portrayal in three billboards so who knows yeah i'm hmm yeah i think it's gonna come down to between sam rockwell and uh, christopher Plummer. but uh, if you asked me a month ago i would have said christopher Plummer. if you asked me now I'd say Sam Rockwell, but it could go either way in the next month. Um, all right. Other than the best supporting actor, is there anything else in the actors or actresses category that uh, uh, stands out or any prediction? Actually, I'm going to say this. Uh, uh, two actors I was actually surprised that made it all the way to getting nominated for best actor was uh, Daniel Kalua for Get Out. Um, you know, I was actually surprised to, he was able to make it to the Golden Globes and he even now is kind of has an Oscar nomination under his belt. Um, I think that's really surprising. Um, and also Timothy Chalamet for uh, Call Me By Your Name. I mean, a lot of people have been talking about his performance in Call Me By Your Name as being, you know, something really fresh and original. Uh, but I don't know. I always felt like he'd get like uh, snubbed by, you know, a much more A-list actor. But those were the two surprises I felt uh, for all these uh, actors. Everyone else, I kind of knew they would get nominated, but... Those were the two shockers. And I'm not saying like, you know, I'm very surprised, like defeated in a way, but surprised in a glad way because yeah, they both uh, deserve it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for Daniel Kalua. It's, it's, I, I'm, I'm just picturing being in his shoes. He probably thought, oh, I mean, this great little horror comedy movie. And all of a sudden you got an Oscar nomination under your belt. So, I mean, good for him there. I mean, I think it all comes down to that one scene in the movie, the, the sunken place scene. Uh, it's 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 timeless and i think it's the one scene throughout the whole movie that just showed his strengths as an actor because i remember just watching that scene and just being like drawn into like oh my gosh this guy's pulling off a performance of the year so i definitely feel like it's that scene yeah and i've yet to see call me by your name but i'm pretty sure over this weekend i'll I'll check it out and uh 
see if uh, Timothy Chalamet has that moment. I have a lot of people have said he's had those moments, but well, I'll have to check it out and make my um, judgment off that. All right. Saoirse Ronan or Francis McDormand? I think Ladybird. I think uh, we've never, uh, the Academy's never really recognized a, uh, a coming of age teenager role at all for uh, winning best actress. I, it's had a, a few chances in the past with like Juno and um, I was thinking The Edge of 17, but that didn't get nominated. But, you know, this is a role and it's a type of character that it has been kind of hallmark in a lot of just genre pictures, especially indie pictures. And I think maybe this is its chance to you know, recognize that. Yeah. That's another one. That, that's another one where I'm torn. I, I, I go either way, depending on, you know, the weather. <laughs> um, right now, if I, a gun to my head, I'd probably say Saoirse Ronan, but it's, it could be Francis McDormand tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but we actually kind of skipped over supporting actress. And honestly, if uh, Laurie Metcalf from Lady Bird um, ends up winning, then I, I definitely can see Francis McDormand winning it for three billboards. I just feel like uh, Lady Bird deserves uh, a win for one of the actress categories. Yeah. Le- uh, Leslie Manville, is, is she the main the main lady in Phantom Thread? Uh, no, actually. She plays uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's sister, who's kind of like, uh, she plays like the um, the housekeeper uh, character from like Rebecca. So she definitely takes on that mantle very well. And uh, I don't know. I think uh, she might have a chance as well. Um, she she. The problem with, with that movie is everyone's so underplaying their parts to perfection that it's really hard to say if they're doing it well or not. Um, so honestly, it's kind of hard to say. But in my opinion, I think Laurie Metcalf was, you know, she played the mother character from Lady Bird, and I think she pulled off a very convincing performance. Um, and, and I wish I could actually say uh, Mary J. Blige from Mudbound might have a chance as well. But uh, I think, in my opinion, uh, Laurie Metcalf has it. Alrighty, and now finally, the big, the big award everyone talks about: Best Picture. Best Picture. Ah, just looking at this list by product of uh, elimination, I'm going to go ahead and say Lady Bird right now. Lady Bird. All right. Yeah, and that could change by the time that the Oscars actually come. But uh, I don't know. I don't see three billboards having a real chance and the, the, the only the only other one up there would be shape of water and i don't see that one winning either yeah uh i honestly think there might be another surprise this year and i think the post is gonna win <laughs> <laughs> because the academy is being hosted by cnn and everybody wants to know how cnn is great at taking down just government you know corruption and the post is just a perfect I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Three billboards. There's there has been a mistake. Uh, the Darkest Hour <laughs> won. <laughs> oh yeah. By the way, uh, Gary Oldman definitely for Darkest Hour for his portrayal of uh, Winston Churchill. I mean, he's going to oh, yeah. win it regardless. Um, but yeah, in my opinion, um, to be frankly honest, I see either Lady Bird or Shape of Water. Those are the two biggest contenders. Um, honestly, Get Out might surprise everybody, um, but. That's kind of like one of those other big surprises, like, oh, that, that's a shocker, kind of like uh, Crash won in 2006. How's that possible? Um, so I see that happening, but my money's, I think, on Lady Bird or Shape of Water. All righty. 
Well, we'll see coming up. Uh, what are the Oscars this year? You will tune in on March 4th to ABC to watch Jimmy Kimmel as he hosts another disastrous Oscar ceremony. Um, oh, he wasn't that uh, bad. He probably wasn't. I, I just haven't watched the Oscars in the past uh, three years just because of just terrible. I, I, I'm trying to remember. The, the last one I saw was the one in 2015 when um, – uh oh my gosh i'm blanking on his name uh oh uh neil patrick yeah when neil patrick harris did that um that was just probably one of the worst (laughs) shows i've ever seen um i mean when you have to basically build a sketch around him walking out on stage in his tidy whities uh i think you're kind of hitting an all-time low well it certainly can't be as bad as uh james franco and anne hathaway are we talking about i loved how james franco was just completely trolling (laughs) the whole time and just making anne hathaway work for her money i mean she's not necessarily hosting material and he knew that and he just was just willing to be there and make fun of just the whole hypocrisy of it all so oh my gosh Anyway, that wraps us up. Um, What are your Oscar predictions, everyone? Tell us in the comments. And that's it. We don't care. I I will not read those comments. I mean, I might, because I might change my opinion. Who knows? Phantom Thread actually might win Best Picture all the way. That would be the biggest surprise. Phantom Thread for Best Editing. And Best Actor. Best Everything. Best Director. Best Best Everything. Yeah, it's just going to sweep them all. Anyway, everyone, enjoy your week end or weekday whenever you happen to be listening to this and keep it easy.